y'all. Um, so you guys don't know me yet. You'll get to know me. Um, my preaching style is a little bit spasmatic. So <laughs> spastastic, I've been called. Um, so I'm a little bit different than Claude. Obviously, I'm much shorter. Um, hence, the preaching table is not here because it's like the size of me. Um, <laughs> um, but I anticipate that we're going to have a ton of fun today. I can't wait to dig into the word with you guys um, and just learn more about um, what God has for us um, as we kind of plug through um, 1 Corinthians and, and learn what he's going to speak to us. So let's just jump right in. Um, we are in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 21. Um, today's message is entitled Correction in Love, and we're still working through the series called Consider the Source. Okay. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 21. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became a father... Be your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is Paul still speaking to the Corinthian church about the issues that are kind of going on there. I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways as I teach them everywhere in every church. But some are arrogant, as though I am not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Woohoo! That's like my favorite. You'll find that out early. <laughs> what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with the love in the spirit of gentleness? All right, let's pray. Jesus, I pray that your word would be spoken today, God. I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to hearts today, that we would be um, changed by the power that only you can offer, God, by the authenticity of living according to how you speak, God, and how you lead and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like it or not, we live in a self-obsessed generation. How many of you have been anywhere and seen this? Or, or, right? Like we literally live in a selfie generation. And it's not just our phones, it's social media. It is the perception that we sometimes feel that we need to create with the cars we drive, the houses we own, the clothes we wear. Is it the right brand? What will people think if I don't have the right things? We're creating a brand, an image. There are people that literally have jobs that are social media influencers. They get paid to post things online. That's all they do, and they make a living off of it because they are creating a perception that people want to buy into. Hey, if you buy these gummies, your hair will look just like mine. Hey, if you buy this shampoo, oh, my goodness, your hair will. Like, literally, that's all they do, and they earn a living from doing that and a pretty good living. It's amazing. But what they're doing is they're spending their life building a perception. It's not real. If we could pull back the veils, if we could pull back those pictures to see what happened before and after, man, we have had some doozies. We've had some great pictures that we have taken, but right before the picture was snapped, I'm going to my kids, if you don't smile, like I am like losing it, right? But nobody sees that. They see the picture. They see the highlight reel. They see all the good stuff. And the reality is, 
that if perception, if the perception of what we present doesn't line up with what we're living, we're not living an authentic life. We're not living with integrity. We're creating a false facade. We're creating an image of what people, we want people to see and what we want people to do or think of us or how they should think of us. And the reality is, is when we do that, when we're so obsessed with creating perception, when we're so obsessed with what we think is wise, even though it might be a little off from the gospel, what we're doing is we're removing the power of what God wants to do in us. When we're so, so worried about what people will think that we don't, we don't take the step to be real or the step to be honest or the step to say, hey, maybe what I think isn't quite right. We're losing some of the power that God has for us in our life. So the question today, as we work through this text, we're just going to go line by line. And it's not super long. Like Claude always says, hey, we get to read a chapter. We didn't. We didn't read a chapter. So it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> not that reading a chapter is bad. Um, so the question is, why do we feel the need to present ourselves as greater than we are? What is that in us that says we have to look better? We have to be better. We have to seem better. And if we seem better, if we feel better, if we look better, then maybe we will be better? I don't know. In this passage, Paul is addressing a small group of people. They're a small group of people who are super disgruntled, um, but they are a small group of people that hold a huge amount of power. They're starting to influence the entire, ch the entire Corinthian church, and what they're doing is they're bashing Paul. So instead of arguing for the gospel, they're arguing against Paul. That has become their main shtick, right? They're not saying, oh, but Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They're saying, but Paul doesn't do this, and Paul doesn't do that, and they're creating division, and they're creating frustration in the church. Then I have to take a drink. Some preachers say, say amen when I take a drink. You don't have to do that. I was just making a joke. <laughs> but they're causing division, and they're causing division based on their own wisdom. They think that they know better, but their, their, their wisdom, the word that's used to describe that wisdom is described as puffed up and fake. So what they're, what they're doing is creating a perception of power. This small group is creating a perception of what status looks like, of what church should be, of what the gospel should be, but it's all incorrect because it's based on their disdain for Paul. And Paul will go on to say, I'll come to you if the Lord wills, and he's finding that he has to defend himself against them because they're literally taking every little thing that he's doing or not doing and picking him apart. They're basically saying, see, he said he would come and he didn't. And Paul's going, no, I will if the Lord wills, but I'll send and I'll write and I, my heart is for you. And they're going, nope, see, he didn't show up. They're all about creating this false sense so that they can have wisdom that he doesn't. We've heard in chapters before that Paul says, I don't come to you with eloquence or with fancy words. I come to you with the gospel. I come to you with a surrendered heart. And that's what the gospel is all about. And so they're saying, no, Paul's not right. And they're creating this crazy, crazy um, division. One of my favorite things about Paul is that you've heard him before. He gets ironic. He addresses things head on. And he often will be a little gruff in his addressing of people. Um, but in this passage, he takes a little bit of a different tone. He switches from being sarcastic and ironic. And he starts to speak to them as a father. And he says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed 
but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He begins by telling them, I don't want you to be ashamed. Everybody makes mistakes. You don't have to be ashamed of what you're believing or, or the division that has come among you, but I want you to know the truth. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake for your life. There's too much at stake for the life of the church, for us to get focused on division. Who's, who's for Paul and who's not for Paul? Why are we not focusing on Jesus? There's too much at stake. And I'm your father. I'm invested in you. See, Paul... I mean, this is kind of cool that we're like in this situation right now. We're all sitting in this church, in this baby church that Meredith called us, which I love. Um, But he's like that. The Corinthians, that was his baby church. He was the pastor. He helped start this church. He's got skin in the game. He loves them. He references guides. I'm not just one of, you've had countless guides in Christ. In the original culture and context, a person who owned like any kind of land or whatever would have a guide or like, I don't know what they, what they call them, teacher, a guide or a teacher, and they would basically be like the chauffeur for the kids, right? So the parent would say to the guide, okay, make sure they get to school and home on time. Make sure they don't, like, throw stones at each other on the way. Make sure, you know, like, <laughs> basically, like, they're bus drivers a little bit. So, <laughs> but they don't have skin in the game, right? If something goes down, who's that guide going to go to? They're going to go to the father, hey, this happened, this is going on, and we need to address it. And then the father would address the issue with them. And he's saying, I'm not that. I'm not that to you. I am your father, born not of natural means, but born out of the gospel. Born out of the gospel, and that's something that's so, so, so powerful. Because not only does he love them naturally, but they have discovered, and they're walking this this amazing journey where they see Jesus. And they're doing this life and they're doing church together just like this. And once you come to the realization that the gospel is all you need, it becomes this amazing leveler. It becomes this amazing unifier, right? So when you and I are standing next to each other and we both have ideas of what we want to get done and how we want things to get done and who's right and who's wrong, all of a sudden it changes when we come face to face with Jesus. Because what do we realize? Except the fact that Jesus died for us. He died a death that we deserved for sins that we carry that he did not commit. He paid a price that we could never pay. So what do we have to offer? What are our ideas? What are our thoughts? What, what are anything? What, what do we have to offer except a surrendered life to him? A life that says, I honor you, God, because you gave me everything. I honor you because you gave up everything for me. So now we can stand shoulder to shoulder And Paul can become their father because they're walking in unity and they're marching forward and they're saying the gospel is the number one thing. Jesus is the number one thing. And we can move forward and we can do this thing and we can do it together. And it does not cause that division. Um, I was, um, my son is super obsessed with Minecraft. Super obsessed. (laughs) Gideon, I love it. Yes. He's like, I know. I love it. Um, so anyway, my son is six. He's super obsessed with Minecraft, right? He would literally wake up, talk about Minecraft. He'd go to bed, talk about Minecraft. We're in the car talking about Minecraft. And if anybody knows my son, Elias, you know he talks constantly. He's just like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Um, <laughs> 
But we, we got to the point where we were like, holy smokes, this thing is taking over his heart. This isn't about, this isn't about like, oh, maybe we should limit it because it looks bad. Maybe we should limit his screen time because other parents do it. Maybe it's not good because, you know, like the blogs all say we shouldn't do it. It wasn't any of that. It was literally like this thing is like encapsulating his mind and his heart. And so we sat down with him and we said, hey, you know, buddy, we got to limit um, your time on Minecraft. We're just getting a little bit concerned that it's just taking a little bit too much of your focus, and we're going on and we're explaining it to him. And as soon as we finish, he goes, wait, why? And then as soon as the word why came out of his mouth, he goes, hold on. Is it because Minecraft is becoming my Lord? I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm going to cry because, and here's why. I'm going to cry because I have skin in the game. I don't care what it looks like to other people if he's on a tablet. I don't care that I'm not checking a box. I care deeply about my child and his walk with the Lord. I care deeply that God speaks to him. And when he said that, I knew that God was speaking to him. In his little six-year-old brain, he said, because it's my Lord. And I literally almost fell off my chair. I'm like, I I'm sorry, I'm what? <laughs> like, but it was that moment. And I feel like that is what Paul wants for this Corinthian church. He's saying to them, I don't care what anybody else is saying. I don't care what perceptions they're trying to build. I'm your father, and I'm coming to you like a father, and I want to speak to you like a father, and I have skin in the game. I'm not here to argue a point. I'm not here, and I don't care about what things look like. What I care about is that you are in a place where you can hear from God, where God can speak to you, and you can grow, and you can have the power that you need. And that is what he cares about. If you're a parent, you can totally relate to that. Totally relate to that. So he says to them, I urge you then, be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul is urging them based on their relationship, which is based and rooted in the gospel to be imitators of him. Does that mean that they're monkey see, monkey do? Oh, Paul washes his hair with dove soap, so I better do that too. No, that's not what it means. What he's saying is, you know that I don't come to you with fancy words, with big ideas, with heightened and puffed up things that look good on the outside. I come to you submitted. I come to you submitted to Jesus, submitted to the gospel, and that's what he wants for them. He wants to show them how to walk a life that is fully surrendered to God so that the real power of Jesus, so that the real presence of Jesus will be with them, so that real life change can happen. And so he's writing them letters, and he's appealing to them, and he's talking to them, and he's addressing these issues, and then he sends Timothy. Now, Timothy is a faithful servant. He trusts him. He trusts Timothy to go in there and go and, and speak to them in love and say, this is how you do it. This is how you live surrendered to Jesus. This is how you pour your life out for a God who gave you everything. He's hoping that their hearts will be softened and that when he does come to visit, that maybe his visit can be one of celebration and not correction, right? Verse 18. Okay, I have to tell you something, too, about this, this, these next couple of verses. I get a little bit giddy. So if you've studied the Bible for any amount of time, Paul is so sarcastic, and he's so bold. 
He's so bold. I, I love it. And so when I start to read these, I don't want you guys to miss how bold he's being in these moments. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. He's literally calling them out. Though that small group of people, he's gone from talking about the entire church, and he's saying, some are arrogant, and they're saying, I'm not coming to you. He's literally like saying, I see you. I know what you're doing, you small group of crazy. Stop it. <laughs> but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. Not the talk of these people, but their power. The proof is in the pudding. If what you're saying is true, he's saying, show me. Where are the lives that have been changed by what you're proposing? Has there been division from what these people are arguing? Or has there been life change? Has there been kindness or just dissension? And he's saying, I'll come and I will see. And I will see whether it's just talk or whether all of these things that these people are proposing are backed up. And he knows full well, because he's gotten reports, that what's been happening is just division and dissension and frustration coming from these people. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. I love this verse. This is like one of my most favorite verses in all of the Bible. For the kingdom of God does not consist in just talk, but in power. The kingdom of God is not just something that's coming. Not something that Paul's looking forward going, someday the kingdom of God will have power and it'll be great. He's saying, no, the kingdom of God is now. The time is now. The kingdom of God is right here within you. And it's not of talk, but of power. It's not about wisdom. It's not about creating a persona. It's not about putting on a face or creating a facade or making sure that your social media is just right. It's not about the perfect family pictures or the perfect cars or Christmas is coming. It's not about getting too expensive of gifts just to make sure your family and friends don't know that, you know, maybe you can't really afford those things. It is a matter of power a matter of authenticity, a matter of realness. When we begin to focus on creating a persona, on creating false ideas in our brain about what we think it looks like to serve God and be about God's business, what we're really doing is robbing God of the power to change our lives for real. We get so caught up in what we think it should look like and what we think it should be and how we think it should go and, and who we think, da, 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 all these different things. And we completely rob God of his power. Not that God's power can be like robbed <laughs> because obviously he'll have it. But what we're doing is we're short-circuiting the work that God has done in our lives or can do in our lives. Um, this is a passage that is super near and dear to my heart. Um, so I might cry. I cry a lot. You guys will get used to that. The more I preach, the more I cry. It's all good. Um, a little drink. So most of my adult life and most of my adult life in ministry, I lived a lie. Um, I was in a senior in college, and I had my first panic attack in my dorm room. And it flipped me right upside down. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was happening to me. I didn't know how to process it. 
Um, so I spent the next five years hiding. I was in ministry. I was a youth pastor. Then I got married to a pastor. Heyo. And then, uh, <laughs> still looking good, Dan. No, I'm just kidding. No, not really, but you know. <laughs> um, we were pastors in Pittsburgh. I was preaching. I was running uh, events. Um, we were pastors in New York City. We were pastors in Syracuse. We've traveled a lot. Um, but I, I was totally faking. I love Jesus. That's, that was not fake. But I was terrified that God had forgotten about me. I was having these panic attacks over and over, and they were debilitating. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. And I would go into every church event white-knuckling it. If I can just get through this event, I'll be okay. If nobody finds out what I'm struggling with, I'll just be okay. Okay, nobody can find out that I can't drive because if they find that out, they're, they're going to they're gonna hate me. They're going to think I'm broken. Maybe I am broken. How many times I cried, Jesus, I'm too broken for you to use me. Why are you asking me to preach? Why are you asking me to do all these things? Like, I'm too broken. Can't you see how broken I am? Can't you see how awful I am? And then I got a call to speak at a women's event. It was uh, January, like three years ago. I can't remember, Mary, if you were there. Um, and I knew that I had to come clean. I knew that I had to pull that facade back. There was something inside of me, and I was shaking. I mean, like, <laughs> like I knew that it was, it was time. I had gone so long creating this idea of what this perceived power was. What does everybody want to see in a pastor's wife? What does everybody want to see in ministry? What is everybody? And there was no power in my world. I was gripped with fear. I was gripped with telling people what I was struggling with. I was gripped with this reality that, like, I knew something was disconnected. I, I knew it. And so I went... <laughs> And I preached, and I preached this message, shaking and all. And I talked about my panic attacks. And I talked about how it was so difficult to not know anybody else who was going through it in ministry and how people stay silent about these sort of things and how it was so incredibly difficult to have panic attacks in front of my children and, and how it's just hard to be real about some of those things. And afterwards, I think... <laughs> <laughs> some people were like, oh, thank you so much. And some people were like, I'm not really sure what to do with that information. <laughs> but the reality is, is that it took that facade down. And I went home and I woke up the next morning and I had slews of messages. I had Facebook messages. I had text messages. I had all these. And people were saying, I struggled with the same thing. And I've been hiding. They were my closest friends people that I hung out with two or three times a week. We were literally walking the same path, pretending to be people we were not. And all the while, we would go home and be struggling. And there was no power in that. There was no power in that. It was so, we were so wrapped up in pretending. And that's the thing with, with this, with, with creating a persona. It doesn't start with, I'm going to create a persona and I'm going to cause division and I'm going to create, wreak havoc in the, the Corinthian church. It doesn't start like that. It starts like this. I just believe one lie about myself. I'm struggling. I must not be loved by God. 
I'm struggling. I, God must not be pleased with me. And nothing can be further from the truth. I shouldn't be here. I can't wait. Like, I just, I wish that I could sit you all down for coffee and tell you all where I have come from. I grew up in a log cabin on a dirt road with, <laughs> like, in the crazy backwoods. My story is insane of where God has brought me from. I shouldn't be standing here. But God, but God, because the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. And if I could talk to you all day, I would talk to you about how I don't deserve to be here and about how I still struggle with panic attacks sometimes. But by the grace of God, I'm standing in front of you. And he gives me the power to do what I do, not because of anything that I've done, but because the power consists in surrendering to God. It doesn't consist in building an image or believing in crazy puffed up lies or ideas of what we think is correct or what people want to see. It's about taking every day and surrendering your every moment and saying, God, what do you want from me in this moment? How do I handle my kids today? How do I not rip my husband's head off today? <laughs> Love you. But seriously, though, how do I handle my life? with you today in my corner? How do I march forward and know that you are for me? How do I walk into the future that you have and know that every resource that you have is behind me? And how do I hang on to that more than I hang on to the lies that I have built? So Paul ends, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod? or with the love in the spirit of gentleness. Paul is basically saying to them, don't make this harder than it has to be. It's actually very simple. Do I need to come with correction? Or can I just come in love as a father would come to you? And can we just talk? Don't make this harder than it has to be. It's very simple. So consider your source today. What's the source of your power? And not in a weird, like, Wonder Woman, like, way. Like, consider the source of your power. Will it be in building pretense? Will it be in building a facade? Will it be in building something that is powerless? Or will your source be the power of God that changes lives? That can change hearts? That can actually make a difference in the people around you? in you. Consider your source. I know Claude always says the text requires something of us, and it does. And I think if the text demands anything of us today, it demands authenticity. It demands integrity. It demands us to stop and take a breath and say, okay, what are the things that I believe that aren't necessarily true? How do I live in a place where I'm surrendered to the gospel, where I'm surrendered to Jesus, where his power can flow through me, where his power is enough for me, where his power is what I need? So there's a question as we, um, as we wrap this all up. And this question you can talk to your kiddos about. It's a little bit different. Um, they have a little bit of a different wording because I think it helps them understand a little bit better. But what actions do you need to take this week to raise your level of integrity or authenticity? What things do you need to uncover in your life 
What things have you been hiding so tightly because you just don't know how people will react? What things do you need to be honest with yourself about? The struggles, the thoughts. What actions do we do that, <laughs> that do not line up with what we profess to be? And being honest and putting that at the feet of Jesus and saying, how can I live with more integrity? How can I live with more authenticity today? How can I follow you more closely? If we are more concerned about God and about what God says about us and about surrendering our lives to him, then we are about building a pretense and building a facade. We will quickly see the power of God start to change us, start to change the people around us. And it's power. And that is where the power of God is. It's in that moment where we say, okay, God, enough is enough. Let's get real. Let's get authentic. Help me to walk with integrity. If I say this, help me to do this. Can you all bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? There's so many, I know, there are so many people in, from so many different walks of life, and um, sometimes preaching, it's, it's hard to imagine where everybody comes from. Um, but if you're here today, and you're not even sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. You're not even sure what that even means or how to even walk with integrity or, or you know, any of that. But you know that you want the power of God in your life. It's actually pretty simple, and most things are when it comes to God. All you need to do is know that in the quietness of your heart, in the stillness of who you are, that you need Jesus. And you could even take time right now to pray a prayer that's so simple. And all it might just sound like this, Jesus, I make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. I don't know how to do what I'm doing, but I need your help. Be my source of power. Be my life change. Be the leader of my life. And that's literally all it is. It's not some magic formula. It's not some concocted idea of how we need to pray or what things look like. It is simply saying, God, I need you. I cannot do this without you. I know, I know that I've messed up and I know that I need you. And that's all it is. If you're here today and you are a skeptic, maybe you aren't even sure if Jesus is real. And you've walked in here and you're just like, man, I don't know. I just don't know. My encouragement today for you would be to be honest with yourself about your struggle with God. Put away the things you've seen. Put away the things that have offended you that a Christian may have done or a church even may have done. And just zero in on Jesus. And take an honest look at the person of Jesus and what he has done for you. And allow that just to sit for a little while. Because there's power in just that, in just considering Jesus as your source. If you're here and you're a Christ follower, you love Jesus, you want to do what pleases him, what things do you have to do today, this week, 
to live a life of integrity more than you have been? How do you live more authentically? What actions need to line up with what you're preaching? What things do you need to lay bare and just say, you know what, God, I'm I'm not making it here. How do I follow you more closely? How do I, how do I surrender myself over and over in every area of my life? I know that looks different for everybody. But as we start worship, um, consider these things. The first song that we're gonna sing is called One Thing. And I love it. Jesus is the one thing. It's the one thing that's true. It's the one thing we can build our life on. He's the one person who will not let us down. He's the one thing that we can trust, that will not change. And so everything that we build on false ideas is powerless, but anything that we build on Jesus is eternal and powerful and has incredible impact. So as you're singing, focus Focus on that and consider the source of your power. Where do you want that power to come from? Feel free to stand if you'd like. We're going to start worshiping.